We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. fans express concern about Bakayo Saka being called up for England, but on the flip side, those bionic enhancements are going to make him that much stronger in the league. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot. It's Fitting Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, the robotics that they have put into Bakayo Saka to replace all the limbs and muscles and fibrous tissue and all kinds of ligaments and things that he no longer has um, have actually enhanced his speed, his power, uh, all of the qualities you'd want from a footballer. So I think what we can say is now there need be no more debate about rotating Bukayo Saka. All we have to ensure is that we have a good power supply to plug him into uh, and maybe a little bit of WD-40, a little oil, make sure that the, the joints are limbered up and he's ready to go. So I look forward to seeing him play 90 minutes in every football match for the rest of the season. I don't mean every Arsenal football match. I mean every single football match. Uh, There's a new rule. Bukayo Saka must appear in every single football match. And I, for one, uh, am here for it because I like Bukayo Saka. Uh, He's he's quite likable, quite easy to enjoy, and I hope he plays a lot of football. Um, So... What's going on? Uh, a few things. We did our Power Rankings episode this week, uh, Clive and I. It was a hell of a lot of fun. I, I would love for you to listen to it if you'd like to head over to Patreon and check it out. Essentially, we ran the rule over all of the teams that are inferior to Arsenal, which is all of the teams. But it's it's all the big clubs from City to Liverpool to Chelsea to United to Aston Villa. There's another one I feel like I'm forgetting. Uh, Newcastle. Is there another one? I don't think there's another one. No. Not no, another club doesn't come to mind, but you know there might be another one in there. But I I certainly can't think of who that might be because they're not even a part of my thoughts. Um, so would love to have you over there. Uh, we are a finalist for the FCA Football Content Awards Best Premier League Podcast, and frankly, while I'm not sure we deserve it, the alternative is that a non-Arsenal podcast wins. We can't have that. So there's a link to voting. Um, in the show notes, they do it 50% fan vote and 50% judges vote. And as we know, the judges, you know. It's it's like VAR, right? They probably have their biases, but we can at least show up and show out and do our part. <clears throat> we would love to have your vote. We love you. And if you don't want to vote, uh, we love you as well. Because at the end of the day, we don't do this for awards. We do this for your ridicule on Twitter. Um, 
We are going to unfortunately speak about the Lions game and what went wrong. Uh, if anything went right, we will address that as well, although I'm not convinced a ton did. That's okay, because really what matters is the looming victory over Manchester City on Sunday that we will be enjoying as a group. Uh, so we're going to do a lot on that as well. And maybe, maybe, maybe touch on the the Liverpool Spurs fallout for VAR. But honestly, it's, it's tedious, it's tiring, and I don't see it going anywhere good. Apparently, Liverpool now uh, have the ability to pick referees who can't referee their games anymore. So that, you know, that's good. That seems like the right outcome. Only the PGMOL could have a solution to an error that is more erroneous than the error they have made. Um, it's, it's pretty impressive. Anywho, uh, all the Arsenal players made it into the England team. Congrats to them, even the non-English ones. So that's kind of cool. Here with me now to discuss what was not a, a fun night in France, but what will be a fun night in London on Sunday is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Okay, let's just dive into what is the debate du jour. It feels like within the Arsenal diaspora, there's always one topic that's got people's tails up, got everybody in a lather, and I think right now it is related to Bukayo Saka. Now, hopefully, I think based on how people are feeling with the England call-up news, Saka is okay and will continue to be okay, um, and will be okay for Sunday. But in the wake of him being removed from the Lawns game and just his general sort of limping off of a lot of games this season and the amount he's played at a very young age, rotation is back in the spotlight. The strong lineup against Lawns had that back in the spotlight pre-match, and his injury during the match certainly has that under the microscope a bit. Clive, what's your take on the need to rotate more if you see one, but specifically related to Saka managing his minutes, managing his health, because as you've said many times, he holds our dreams in his hands, or at least in his feet. <laughs> he does, and that may be that, that drives the reactions that we all have, right? We know how precious he is. This type of player doesn't come along very often, particularly when you produce yourself, um, not just as a player, but as a person. I mean, he's priced us to the club, literally, and that makes us worry. Uh, it's not the first time on this podcast we've spoken about general overplaying of certain people. Yet whenever we do our start 11s, those certain people are always in it. So uh, I think we're all a little bit hypocritical about this, we, particularly when big games are coming up. We want them to play. We want them rested. We want them fresh. Yet we want to win. And when we draw a game, your reactions tell you everything, right? So um, uh, it's just we just don't expect anything to be, anything to go wrong right so um so i've quoted examples before you know a good example is raheem sterling and he's he seems to be doing okay at the moment but he's 27 28 he's at the england squad he had to really fight for his health over the summer because he has played a lot of football when he was young i think when you look back and you can compare you can look at minutes played and there's a great tweet out there by a guy called, I think it's AFCX James or something like that, where he spoke about the overall minutes that were played. And because we were knocked out of cup competitions last year, Saka hasn't played as many minutes as maybe we think in all comps. But we know, we know what happens. We watch him. We see him limping towards the end of games. That may be some of that part of his character. That may be how he is towards the end of games. But he has got an amazing bounce back ability, right? So... I think if I'm look at this more holistically and leave some on the table for Tim as well, I think where the game is going is what should worry us all. Again, there's a good article from Ollie Kay in The Athletic today. I urge anyone and everyone to read it. 
because it's not just what's happening with Arsenal, what's happening with the Champions League, what's happening with the Club World Championship, summer tournaments, Nations Leagues, friendlies are now made more serious because of the Nations League. It's just an increasing demand on a certain group of players. And if you are playing for Luton Town, you're not having the same level of demand. It's really the top-level players that are playing in the top-level competitions. I mean, that game in Lons this week was a proper game of football. They were physical. Mm. They were after us. They wanted to push us. They were pushing us on the floor. You know, you look at Gabriel Jesus on the floor, being played against by a huge centre-back. This isn't this isn't park football, mate. This isn't like passing past just practice our passing patterns. This isn't Bournemouth, shall we say? You know, which basically we were jogging. You know, so it's a it's a problem. It is a problem that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there needs to be a line drawn at some point to say when is this going to stop? When is this going to stop? And I think who's going to stop it who's in whose vested interest is this to slow down the amount of games for a small subset of top level players around Europe whose vested interest is that I'm not sure if there is anybody and so it's going to be so interesting to see what actually happens going forward but in the in the near term I would have played him at Lons would I play him Sunday he's still being assessed I'm not so sure I'm 50-50 on that mate to be honest because England are going to take him regardless. Yeah, I, I'd play him Sunday. Um, and I'll explain why as we get more into the Manchester City preview portion of the podcast. I think that's mm. all really well said, Clive. You know, I mean, there's one thing that I think we should be able to do, Tim, which is to say, here's my opinion on it. Here's what I would have liked to see happen without saying this is what I think needed to happen or, you know, I expected to happen. Yeah. I didn't want Bukayo Saka to play against Laws. Okay? Why? Because I'm nervous. Because he's limped off games. Because he's had to be removed from games. Because I know the importance <clears throat> of the impending Manchester City game. And m- my focus and my worry is on that game. I mean, as it turns out, the irony is we could have made 11 changes against Lawns and gotten just as good a result as we got. <laughs> right? So, I mean, in, in final adjudication, outcome-based analysis would say it didn't really wind up mattering. Um, and maybe there's an argument that if you play a rotated side, you get a slightly more committed performance out of a, a rotated side than one that's got one eye on City, although I don't think commitment was really the issue, and we'll come on to the game itself. To just wrap up the rotation conversation... Yeah, my my personal view would have been to rotate. But let's be clear about something. The big players don't get rotated. I went and I looked back. You know, City went to the final last season. Holland played 13 of 13 games. And Liverpool, when they went to the final, Salah played 13 of 13 games. And Madrid, you know, Vinicius played every single game they played. Um, you know, it, it is the case that when you look at the big clubs in the Champions League, there's two or three players, outfield players, that play every single one of their Champions League games and every single game they're available for in the league. Um, you know, Manchester City rotate more than most because they have the ability to do that, but they don't do it with certain players, like Erling Holland, for example. So I confess that my nervousness around player availability and rotation informs my opinion on what we should do. And the fact that we've lost Timber for the season and Party to a muscle injury and Trissard to a muscle injury and um, Martinelli to a muscle injury and Sack has been removed from two games injured. So yeah, I, I wanted to see rotation based on my my fears 
but I accept that rotating in the Champions League is just not that common a thing to do. So having had a couple of days to think about it, because I know you were sort of leaning leaning my direction in the instant reaction, but the instant reaction is an emotional one. Um, how, how have you updated, if at all, your thoughts on mm. ro- rotating for this game, especially in light of what, what's what's ahead on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, in Saka's specific case, I'm not usually like hopping up and down saying, take him out of this game, take him off the second, we're 2-0 up, etc., etc., for the reasons you outline. Like, this is consistent across world football, across a multitude of clubs over a multitude of years. Messi wasn't coming off when Barca were 3-0 up, and that happened a lot of times. We weren't taking Henri off when we were 3-0 up. It's just, so I just have to trust that there is kind of sound thinking behind that. I, I think there are a few things that go into this. I think, first of all, um, again, sticking with Saka specifically, like he's limped off the last two games. So this is not a normal scenario where he's just playing. Like clearly he had some kind of knock. And I think it's very, very likely he's picked up this hamstring strain because he was overcompensating um, in some way. And my feeling now is the same as I said on the instant reaction on Tuesday night. I'd rather have had Saka for the last 25 minutes of this game than the first 25 minutes of this game. And I think ultimately that decision probably cost us the game and it's probably cost us the player. I think that's very costly and I think the manager has to have a bit of humility and learn from that. Mm. Overall, on the kind of rotation discussion, I, I thought you made a really good point on the instant reaction, which is... It's rare. Like, we... <laughs> thanks. We, <laughs> we, like, we have to trust our squad players... At some point, we have to stop thinking that, like, like if Nelson can't play in this game, what on earth are we giving him a contract for? Why are we insisting, no, we must not smelt, sell Smith-Rowe? Fine, but you can't then not play him. Like, there, there has to be a point where you have to start trusting some of these guys. I'm not saying play a league... Like, I, I, I think I said on Wednesday night, I might have made one change in... Each area of the team. So Tommy Asu, that was mm. one change. Yeah. Fine. Tommy Asu is a good player. No one needs to lose their shit because he plays instead of Ben White. Maybe in midfield, maybe you play Jorginho or something. Like Jorginho is a really, really good player. We don't have to worry if he if he plays. And then maybe, you know, maybe just in that one moment against Spurs, we have to worry. Yeah, well, <laughs> in general, we don't have that, to worry. <laughs> that, that came about because he he Hasn't didn't have playing. any minutes. Um, yeah. You know, and and look, it's early in the season. I'm not necessarily angry about that, but like some of these guys, they're going to have to play because the problem you start to give yourself is also a soft factor one when guys start becoming disconnected from the group. And, you know, again, I'll repeat the anecdote um, that I gave in the instant reaction when I, I spoke to Joe Montemoro some years ago about why he rotates goalkeepers. And he said, I never managed a squad with only one unhappy player. He said, it's like, it's like the flu. You get an unhappy player, you start going, oh my God, that he's, he or she, in Joe's case, has friends <laughs> and they're going to talk to each other. Yeah. And, you know, that it just kind of, and, and even if they don't do that, like you have a, like a, a miserable player in the group or something. We saw it happen to Sambi as well, like became disconnected from the group. Then we really needed him. 
And he'd, you know, he was already on the driftwood away from the ship at that point. So there is a balancing act with rotation as well. And that's mm. not me taking lons lightly. That is not me going, you know, do a Carabao Cup here and, you know, Sago Jr. can play. Like, no, like two or three changes, but he kind of went for one. Mm. Um, and again, like overall, I can debate the bones out of that. But in Saka's specific case, I think that was just a risk that didn't need to be taken given he was clearly carrying something and it's a point that didn't just doesn't really need to be made anymore. And I, I think he has to get away from trying to make a point to Saka and to everyone else and actually just start managing the player and the team. Well, and it's funny too, because like you say, did Manchester City rotate for their game against Leipzig? Beats me. Because who knows who their first 11 is? You yeah, know, they've got yeah. so many like, players that play. Yeah. The, yeah, they protected a couple of players like who Kovacic and, yeah. Yeah, and Stones. But exactly, like if they're not playing on Sunday, no one's going to jump out their skin, are they? And that that's really the thing, right? You, ideally, you get to a point with a squad where you start an 11 and you go, was that rotated? Like, for example, if Liverpool start Nunez instead of Gakpo, are they rotating? I I don't know. You know, We don't they're, know, they're both, but Liverpool, we but Liverpool don't, fans know. Yeah, they, well, they know who's start. in form. He doesn't start. They yeah. they know who's in form with, with he adds Jota to that group. They know who's mm-hmm. in form. They know who the relationships are best. Like we do, we know all the partnerships and relationships on our team. We know a player comes in. You know, Tom Yasu comes in. Okay, let's talk about him. Tom Yasu comes in. I actually think he's better on the left side than the right side. I actually think I he's better at centre back than the right side. I think the right side is worse position. So he comes in. We know that detail. To somebody else talking from the outside, it's Tom Yasu, good player, plays for his country, mm. rips it. These details are important because it's those relationships that drive the results and performance. You know, another thing I want to say that I think's changed is the last time we assessed this. Mm. We are talking about the first away day Champions League we've gone game we've had for five, what six, seven years? Seven years, yeah. The players want it bad. They all want to play. Mm. We saw the excitement in the home game. They all want to play these games. <laughs> Tim, we, we, how, how early were those seats filled up in the home game? Right, They were filled up big time to hear the tunes. Right, So it's, it, it's something new. It's new for all of us watching. It's new for the manager. The level of competition is different. So the level of risk we take may be different until we establish ourselves in the group. And I'm not yeah. trying to excuse anything. I just feel this is different and new, and we have to assess it that way. And and we we may not be best positioned to really assess it. That's what I'm trying to say, really. Yeah. The only thing I'd say about the players wanting to play, and and this is not like a, a critique of your point. It's that I think a manager's responsibility is to protect players from themselves. We can go all the way back years and years ago. Remember when Unai Emery was trying to drag us to top four, and he played Ramsey when he wasn't really fit and didn't need to play, and he said, "Well, Ramsey wanted to play. Well, we lost Ramsey for the season, and we lost top four. Like you, as a manager, you can't give the players everything they want all the time. You know what's interesting though." Injury also impacts the point I was just making, right? You know the point I was making about how, well, you don't necessarily know when City are rotating. Well, let's say Thomas Party was fully fit and Martinelli was fully fit. And we started with Trissard instead of Martinelli. And we started with Party instead of Rice. We wouldn't be like, oh, we rotated. We'd be like, oh, we used our really good first team players. We're just light a few players in a few departments right now due to injury, meaning that we have fewer options that are really at the top end. Look, can, can I just express this as, as sincerely as I can? Me, Elliot, the worrier, 
wanted Saliba rested and Jesus rested and Rice rested and Saka rested, I wouldn't have played any of them. I know that's not how this works. I'm not an idiot. Well, at times. But that's what I wanted because I want to see us finally go up against City as full strength as we can, where they're a little diminished because of absences, and give ourselves the best chance. I want it so, so bad. We all want it so bad. It's long overdue. All right? We've got a point to prove, a big point to prove against City. And that's what was in my mind going to Lons. Mikel and the team can't afford to have that in their mind going to Lons. And maybe it was a bit in their mind, and maybe that's what happened while we were over there. But, you know, so so I acknowledge that what I wanted and what really happens are two different things. Now, I do I think that we have a problem with rotation? Not generally. Like, I look at the Brentford game, the League Cup game, we rotated just fine. And last year in the Europa League, we rotated quite a bit. So I think we're just going to have to get used to the fact that in the Champions League, rotation is not really a thing, and we're not going to see much of it. Um, and, and hope that the players can hold up. You know what's burned us, you guys? Here, let's be honest about what's burned us. We just get no injury luck at all. Now, is there a bigger conversation to have about whether that's luck or not? We're not best positioned to have that conversation because we have no idea why it's happening. But losing Party and losing Martinelli and losing Troussard and losing Jesus and losing Timber... These are all players we've lost already this season for portions of the season. So, of course, we're worried when we see them play because we're worried they're not going to see them play again. I just think it's natural. Uh, Clive, th- the way this game gets off to the start is is perfect. Um, you know, we capitalize on their error. We press them high up the pitch. Saka involved, as he always is. Beautiful read, beautiful interception. Gets it to Jesus. And this is my thing with Jesus. He gets so pilloried when he misses a good chance. No one ever says, oh, well, you know, he'll make up for that with his great finish. What a finish it is. What a beautiful finish. And I have to say, Lons were combative. They were winning duels all over the pitch. We get in front, and I think we did really well to get ourselves in front and quiet down that crowd. And as we have all season, we just did not allow ourselves the chance to consolidate because we make a silly mistake, and and it costs us, and they execute brilliantly themselves and get back in it. What's your opinion of the the opening stage of the game where I think they were combative, we were up for it, and and I think rightfully got ourselves into the lead but couldn't consolidate? Yeah, I I really enjoyed the first phase of the game until they scored. I actually mm, thought yeah. it was it was nigh on perfect. You know, they come out the traps and we and we fight them. We fight them. Fight them. It was a bit bish bosh, you know, first ball, second ball. And just try to get some territory. And then we start to slow it down. Then we start to drop off, play our patterns, go back to the keeper. And we played through them. We nicked it off them. Beautiful set by Saka. Shift, dribble, shift, shoot, bottom corner. Create the angle, side netting. Wonderful. Then after that, we just kept going. I think Havertz had a volley from a dink pass from Chinchenko and... I'm thinking. I'm he literally places it tw- instead of instead of smashing it, right? Yeah, he, he, he gets down. a little unlucky. It's a, it's a weird he, save, very unlucky, and a bit of an unorthodox save. And um, I'm thinking this is great. I literally tweeted out, you know, I, I actually said this is brilliant. I don't care about results. This is exactly how you should play. The rhythm by which you should play, the pace of it. This is exactly it. I'm thinking we're now learning. We maybe go backwards before we actually more than we actually needed to. I do have an issue with. I miss Martinelli, basically. I love to see his darting runs in behind and and then we, we can play forward a little bit more. So we played around and went backwards. They ended up going backwards. 
to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper chooses the wrong technique. He should have faded it rather and he kicked around the balls. That that curled it into the path of the unrushing defender who gambles on it and they have a pin-perfect move and score. It's like flipping hell. They don't deserve that. But from that moment on, we were unsettled and we lost our control and we lost our main protagonist. You know, and uh, that affected me on the set E. I wonder how it affected the rest of the team, right? So, and I think that was, and it went from being the perfect performance into one where we were fighting and scrapping. And um, you made a point there earlier about, and this is where I'm I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but sometimes when you play all your best players, when there's a game on the horizon, which is really important, they're on the pitch, but they're not quite on the pitch, firing in. And what I noticed in this game more than any other was the amount of duels that we lost in the middle of the pitch. I felt we were just second to the second ball a lot. And it's that extra sharpness and commitment that you need just wasn't quite there once the game was out of our control. you know. And I think to rest control back, you need to be motivated physically and committed. And there is an argument, I'm just, okay, soft factor stuff, mate. There is an argument to say that we just weren't quite as physically committed to the challenge, knowing what was around the corner on the Sunday. But then we're back to the rotation argument, isn't it? You know, I'm not sure what the right answer is, but... That was my story of the first phase of the game. Well, I, I can back that up for you with some data if you want. Um, Kai Havertz lost 11 duels, 1-2. Gabriel Jesus lost 9 duels, 1-2. Tomiyasu lost 7 duels, 1-4. Trissard lost 6 duels, 1-3. All right? I mean, as you go through these players, we just lost a hell of a lot of duels. Uh, by the way, Declan Rice, 1-8, lost 1. Declan was imperious. Uh, he was the bright spot from the game, certainly. I I do think, Tim, there's there's the physical side of the game. I don't think we we won the physical side of the game. And there's that whole thing, right? You have to earn the right to play. But I actually think where we struggled was tempo. There was some horseshoe stuff going on in this game. And I'm sort of curious how to diagnose it. But, you know, I read um, Billy Carpenter does a... a long read on games. Edu's Barbecue, I think, is the name of his, his I think it's Substack. Uh, but anyway, it's really, really good. There's a lot of good data in there. I think this was our highest passes per possession we've had this season. In other words, just you know, not as direct or quick in our attacks as, as we could be. Um, Martin Odegaard, much fewer key passes this season, much fewer progressive passes. Declan Rice, better passing percentage, more passes than party, Fewer progressive passes. Kai Havertz from Granite Shack, I mean, it's it's like a cliff. Fewer passes, fewer progressive passes received, fewer progressive passes being made. We went around the the horseshoe, and, and one of the things that I think is pretty simple, Tim, as, as an explanation is just, we took off Saka, who can be a stretcher. We don't have, no, thankfully we didn't take him off on a stretcher. Uh, we don't have Martinelli, who's a stretcher. Trissard's a linking player who likes to come inside. Vieira's a linking player who likes to come inside. Gabriel Jesus is a linking player, right? Kai Havertz is an off-the-ball player entirely. And Odegaard, you know, he's he's who's he laying chances on to? And all of a sudden, you got a bunch of players who want to mush into the half spaces and the center spaces and no one to just keep the fullbacks honest, push them back, you know, be direct. Who, who are you going to play in behind, in between the center back and fullback space? So we went around the horseshoe a lot. And I'm wondering how you... 
how you feel about that phase of the game because it was a good combative game. Sure, we lost the physical duels, but the bigger thing that stood out to me was the horseshoe passing and the inability to really find find ways in behind, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's why, look, Nelson didn't play brilliantly when he did eventually come on, but we brought him and Smith-Rowe into a different game state. And in many respects, I think that was unfortunate because I do think they were ready to come on at 1-1 and then Lons score. And at 2-1, it's completely different. You can see exactly what Lons do. They call off the dogs. They sit back. They're playing in a back three anyway. That becomes a back five, and then it just becomes about break us down. And we're trying to do that without Saka and Martinelli. So all of that is pretty unfortunate. I also think it was a mistake at that point to take off Zinchenko. In, unless, to be fair, unless... I, I can I can live with that because there's clearly a decision, at least for the time being, that he's kind of a 70-minute player. And I get that. But I really think we completely lost Havertz at that point. We lost Erdegaard. We lost our, we lost our tens, basically, as well, as well as having already lost Saka. Um, and I suspect that was kind of a bit um, preemptive, probably decided before the game but I really really think at the stage where they were really really sitting back we took off the person that really puts emphasis and impetus into our game Um, and again maybe that's just unfortunate but I really think Nelson should have come on for Saka for the reasons you outline because I get like Vieira's played quite well this season he probably wants to keep him going etc etc it's just a completely different type of player and it it does kind of make me think that Nelson probably just isn't in consideration for the right hand side that he's in consideration for the left hand side but um, I think the the queue there is pretty long for him Um, I don't know what the conversation was that got him to sign the contract but I'm I'm a bit surprised um, that the conversation was seductive for him um maybe the wage packet was seductive for him um but yeah like it it really felt like we we lent into the horseshoe that we really kind of gave Lons that and particularly because you know they're a team that plays with wing backs they're really good in transition they're we saw they're really good at jumping out on you I, i think having already decided to play with trossard putting Vieira on as well was always a really bad mix. And so it that became exacerbated at the point where they went 2-1 up and just stuck everyone behind the ball. But it kind of looked like that anyway. We, you know, we we were struggling to create. We created something off a set piece. We do make a good chance at the end for Nelson, to be fair. But it was all, you know, we we've struggled to create chances this season. I think we're averaging 1.6 XG per game at the moment. Um, mm. I don't think that in- includes the community shield. So we're leaving ourselves open to these margins. But yeah, that that seemed like a strange decision to me. And I'm not sure I buy the kind of, well, may- maybe Nelson's not fit to play that much because he played what? Did he play the whole game against Brentford? He certainly played the majority of it. So, mm. you know, I'd, I don't, I, I, I can see why that meant Nelson didn't start against Bournemouth, but I think a week later, I, I don't think that's a fitness thing. I think that's just uh, the manager's given him a five-year contract but doesn't really rate him, and I, ju- I just don't really tally those two decisions. Mm. I, It's interesting. I, I can back up a, a, a few points you made. Um, in, in terms of 
Odegaard. Well, let me let me just say this: in terms of our our open play chance creation, I mean, this is something I think we should be keeping an eye on. Arsenal have five open play goals in the Premier League this season. I mean, Nottingham Forest have more. You know, um, Crystal Palace have more. You know, we have five from penalties, <laughs> which which is a beautiful thing. But so there there is an open play chance creation issue, I think. Um, you know, we have faced the lowest defensive line in Europe this season against us. What do I mean by that? I mean, Arsenal, more than anybody else in Europe, including Manchester City, are facing the deepest defenses in all of European and English football. And that is a new challenge. Last season, that didn't happen in part because people didn't know we were this good. Well, they know we're this good now. You know, and we're winning the ball high up the pitch and we're pushing teams back. That's going to mean we need new things to break them apart. And I do think there has to be a runner in behind, but <sighs> Clive, it is, it is difficult for me to avoid the question of Kai Havertz's involvement in this game. I thought this was a poor Kai Havertz game. And, you know, I, I read something in, in Billy Carpenter's um, uh, blog that I got that I that I think is really well worded, and so I'm going to borrow it. I don't think it's working yet. Isn't the same as saying I don't think it can work. Those are two different things, right? But right now, the the huge decrease in touches, progressive passes received, passes being made, the the elevation in lateral passes versus what Shaka did last season. That left hand side, you know. A lot of things wind up going now through Zinchenko exclusively. Odegaard is is playing more of a deeper controlling kind of role, maybe in terms of in terms of his passing. How do you diagnose the horseshoe? And and maybe is there is there a Kai Havertz shaped hole in the in the way we're trying to attack those lower blocks? Oh, <laughs> these questions are huge. <laughs> They're, they're, yeah, well, they're huge. you got a whole podcast. Because I, I, I think they're, they're multi-threaded, aren't they? You know, I don't think you can land on one individual. You know, I don't. I, don't, I could. I could go for the whole team, right? So, and if you take, if you if you think about what's missing, to what we're used to seeing, if we, if you're going to have this, oh, we've changed. We're not doing what we did last year. Well, let's let's talk about what's changed. You know, we've got a major cog in the center of our pitch in Declan Rice. Who's different to Thomas Pye? Change, mm -hmm. change to where we pass into out. Good for our defensive numbers. I bet they've changed positively, you know. So, but for our offensive numbers to be defined, to be debated, right? Because um, the centrality is not there. The injury in the front end of our pitch. I mean, we've already had two knee ups already in our in our team already. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus, when he's there centrally, we look a little bit more central. But how many times has he played central? Then one or two nine minutes so far this season. Everything's pointed towards Saka. Like everything's on that side. It's like the pitch is tilted because there's nothing penetrative on the other side that can carry and stress people that falls double up, double ups on the left hand side. We're a little bit more creative on that side of things. The Shaka roll, the Shaka roll was a 45 touch game, hit the box, progressive pass out to the winger, inside lane, run through, hit the box when it goes to the right hand side. It wasn't a high touch position for me. Uh, expected more from Havertz. Strangely enough, he got more defensively than offensively from Havertz. So, 
I think it's massively multi-threaded at the moment. There's a lot of owners on Odegaard to be a scorer. Has he tweaked his game too much to be a scorer rather than a, rather than a playmaker? It just feels different from our perspective, from our consistency of selection perspective. And also, as you pointed out, everyone has been watching us and everyone knows if you allow Arsenal to throw through the team, to throw through the pitch, you might as well just give them the points. So what we're going to do, we're going to hold the centre, we're going to block them, we're going to send them to the outside, we're going to kick them off their feet, and we're going to, make them, we're going to challenge them to come back inside. If they're going to go outside, they're going to have to double up on us to get on the outside, which will leave them exposed to the counter. You know, And we're going to force them to think about when they go lateral to go out the other side. When they go lateral, we'll jump. So what do we do? We go backwards to go around to keep it safe and secure. First goals matter, which is why Saka always plays, because he always helps us with the first goal. I think it's multi-threaded. I'm not trying to get away from the Havers because I was disappointed with him at the weekend. I, uh, sorry, on against Lons. Tim made a good point actually on the on the IR about him starting well. I rewatched his start today and he did start well. But when we dropped, he dropped, and he dropped. You know, to a point where it was not very visible. Again, I just maybe a little bit, um, you know. Arsenal fan stuff, but after Saturday, sorry, after Bournemouth, and it all going so well for him and the good feelings and the positivity, I just hoped I'd see a little bit more zip. You know, a little bit more zip to hit the box. I'm not worried about um, goals. Goals will come, but you, they won't come if you're not making the runs. And he made the second most attacking runs into the box last season. Only Haaland made more. I want to see that. And if we don't find you, then fine. Then it's a, it's a team issue. Maybe go back to some of the things that we expected. Execution will come, but the aggression and your movement needs to dictate the game you want to play towards you. If you are different in your movement, the, the, the game will go around you and it will pass you by. You have to be more aggressive. When you don't get the ball, tell somebody. Now, don't accept it. Tell somebody, I wanted it in there. I want it on my head. I want it in the down the sides. Don't just jog back in and accept it. You have to... But you have to bully your way into this team almost, not just by being selected by the manager, but by making sure people play to your strengths. You know? And so what happens with someone like him when he's got multiple strengths, he ends up trying to be a jack of all trades and we can't see the one thing he's really good at. What is it? We can have a debate all day on it. Right? So at this moment in time, we're all looking to see what's different and he's different. You know? And so he's different and we're not scoring, so that's the problem. Very simple mathematics, you know, and um, whereas I think he's a lot more multi-threaded than that. And we have some honest conversations one-on-one about every single player in this group and their their impact to our attack. Is it better than last year? And I'm not just good in new ones, or is it not as good? I'll tell you which one guy that is better than last year, and that's the guy we're most worried about in Bakaya Saka. He's mm. the one that's carrying us offensively because everyone else is either injured or out of form or inconsistent. I don't think it helps that we haven't played the same front five twice. Have we played the same front five twice this season? The automatism. I wonder how many minutes that Saka Martinelli and Jesus had on the pitch. I wonder how many minutes that is. Yeah, not not many. And and by the way, I want to be clear about something. Every single player who starts for us, their progressive passing numbers are down. Rice down on party, Odegaard down on Odegaard, Havertz way down on Shaka. They're all down. But I wonder if some of that also is when you win the ball high up and the other team is so deep and you spend so much of the game in the final third, there's no progressive pass to make, people. You can't progress the ball 
if because a progressive pass has like the, the actual technical definition of a progressive pass, uh, yeah, I won't read it out, but it's data related to essentially like it has to reduce the amount of distance on the pitch that you are by a certain percentage. You know where it's very easy to make progressive passes? Like sixes can make more progressive passes than tens and a lot more than nines, right? Nines don't make a lot of progressive passes. Why? There's nowhere to progress it to. Well, we have, I already told you, we're facing the deepest defensive lines in all of Europe. Where are we going to go? But you saw the horseshoe a little bit against Lons. I think it was a concern. I, You know, the other thing is, it, it just, the individual errors are probably a big story this season too because while I do think the offense, the, the attack is not clicking per se, we put ourselves in positions to win games. Like, we should have won the Derby. We should have beat Fulham. We should have beat Lons. These are mistakes you don't have to make. The Jorginho mistake against Spurs, it, it's, it's a nonsense. It's a crazy mistake. You know, the one against Fulham, you know, these are things that are concentration oriented. They, they just have to be eliminated. And maybe it is a little bit of the case of the team changing so much that just some of the chemistry, you know, would Ben White have moved to where Raya was thinking Tomiyasu was going to go? I don't think Tomiyasu, uh, uh, Tim, I don't think Tomiyasu anticipated Raya's pass well. I think it was a little slow off the block. I don't think Raya hit it exactly where he should have hit it. But is that a factor of, Oh, you know, when I play with Ben White, I know Ben White's on the sprint, you know, and Tomiyasu was a little bit static. I, I don't know. In terms mm. of the Raya portion of it, I mean, I don't think he can get to the first goal at all. Some people seem to think he should have gotten to the second goal, that, it, you know, a little bit of short arms on the second goal. He obviously makes the error with the pass um, or is, you know, involved in the error. The pass leads to the first goal. Anything on the Raya thing here? Because to me, it hurts me emotionally to think that. Aaron Ramsdale's not our number one anymore. I love the player. But Aaron Ramsdale's not our number one anymore. And like, clearly Mikel, who we all trust, seems to think he's got someone that fits better. One of the really interesting things that people are picking up on now, Tim, Raya plays in the left center back position. And then we can move. Uh, so here's what we do. We have Tomiyasu, or, or White, Saliba, Raya, um, Gabriel, Mm. Zinchenko and Rice double pivot. Odegaard and Havertz right box ahead of them and then the three in front of them. Um, we make a back four with Raya playing in that left center back position. So do you think it's just as simple as that's a, that's a position he wants Raya to be in? It worked really well against Bournemouth and that he doesn't feel as confident in Ramsdale being able to play there. And if that's the, if that's the general shape he wants... In the first phase, he needs to use Raya to get it. Yeah, absolutely. So Raya's eleventh outfield player. That that's the way it's it's completely gone in in the shape you point out. And Raya, he's always kind of out and to the left of his goal. And and I think part of that is because that's where the gap was last year, not just in build up, but where that's where we're vulnerable, right? Zinchenko inverts into midfield. Gabriel has to go left. And essentially what Raya is doing that Ramsdale wasn't doing possibly because Arteta doesn't think he can do it is coming out of his goal and playing like alongside Saliba as that left centre-back. The, the mistake for this equaliser, Arsenal did exactly the same play in the first half of the Bournemouth game and he clips the ball out to Ben White. And what Arsenal were doing, one of the things Raya is doing is that kind of deserby thing, studs on the ball, waiting for people to come to him and then play around with that kind of patience, that daring, baiting the press. Sometimes we see him right next to the touchline as well, and he'll do the same, studs on the ball, 
come on then, come on, come to me, because if you're going to press me here, you're going to really commit. You're going to be like next to the goal line. If we take you out, you're completely out of the game at that point. And in the Bournemouth game, there were loads of lovely patterns like that where he was finding Erdegaard and Zinchenko in the centre circle, having baited the press and all of that and clipping that ball out to Ben White. The issue here, the the execution wasn't there. I think you're right. I think Tomiyasu doesn't see the guy coming. Um, for a start, Reyes slightly undercooks it. But of course, like other teams, what like if we've picked this stuff out, <laughs> so has the RC Lons coach. Like they mm-hmm. were waiting for that. They, they'd have watched the Bournemouth game. They'd have seen that play, and they'll go, "We know what's going on here." So um, you know, I sorry, I forget who the left back was uh, or the player on the left who intercepted it. But they'd have been waiting for it. They'd have said it like happened in like one game, one game, and that's all it needs for teams to be all over you, all over your patterns of play. And one of the things we were doing against Bournemouth, loads of like dragging people out of position. So when Raya got the ball in that position to clip the ball over to Ben White, it's not as simple as that. Everyone bunches over there. So Erdegaard, the second Raya got that ball, Erdegaard moved over, Rice moved over. They pushed everywhere. They got Bournemouth sucked right over and then bang over the head to Ben White. And that's what they were trying to do here. And and they kind of nearly did it, but the pass is undercooked. Tommy Asu at some point has to see the guy coming and go, actually, I'm not going to be able to control this now. What I need to do here is compete for the duel, but he doesn't see it. Maybe Ben White sees that. Maybe Ben White's a bit more kind of assimilated into that. So it's a bit of a technical error. And on one hand, I think Arteta will completely and utterly tolerate the error because it's doing what he wants Raya to do. And I think he'll just, he'll kind of write that off and say, we'll score more goals, we'll create more doing that than we'll lose. And I'll accept, obviously if he does it every week, then it becomes a different problem. But clearly there's something there. He doesn't think Ramsdale can do that. So it's a stylistic thing. And I think Paul has this right as well. Like we've got to stop thinking who's better than who, who do I like more than who, who interacts with the crowd and makes me smile and makes me laugh. And, you know, gives good Twitter play and who throws himself across the goal. And like, it, it's not, it, it's about style. Raya mm. is an elite, there's, you know, like goalkeeping, it's evolved so much over the years that now that like this is the next stage like Ramsdale I think was bought to be our Edison that kind of we can go over the top of the press with this guy somewhere along the line he probably started doing that a bit too much you know under pressure going long a bit too often coughing up possession and he just believes I think that Raya can do stuff that Ramsdale can't and that's the next level of kind of playing out with your goalkeeper and you can you can see it in the numbers, like Raya's pass completion compared to Ramsdale's, like it's miles ahead, absolutely miles ahead. The team has moved to a stage where they prize control because I am certain that some of the games that Arteta will have watched again and again this summer, West Ham and Liverpool, what did we do? We let them back into it. We gave the crowd hope. We coughed mm. up a goal before half time. You know, m- maybe even stuff like. We kind of rubbished it at the time, but, you know, Xhaka getting into a, a bit of a fight with a Liverpool player at 2-0 and the crowd are up. It's really clear to me that particularly away from home, the crowd is coming into the equation and it's like, we've got to keep them quiet. We've got mm. to take away their hope. 
And what's really instructive as well is the way we played when we went 1-0 up against Everton. We went back to Raya more in that period than any other period of the game. And clearly it was about killing the game. So that's mm. what he thinks Raya can do. Clearly in this in this scenario, like there's an error and he can't keep doing that. But I, I, I don't think this is a polemic or emotional thing. I think he just thinks Raya can be that 11th outfield player, which is a different thing to saying a goalkeeper is a good distributor, which Ramsdale is. Yeah. Um, and... So, Clive, let's wrap up the Lons game a bit because <clears throat> I want to get to a big city preview here. But, like, first of all, because I didn't even notice this, the instant reaction. Um, it took me three quarters of the way through it to realize it. But PSV found an equalizer late against Sevilla, uh, 90, 90 plus five, means that we're actually still in second place in this group and I think still well positioned to top it. We should top it. We need to top it. And I think we will. Um, you know, we'll, this someone someone posted in the Discord the XG from the Manchester City Red Bull Leipzig game where that they won 3-1. And it was pretty similar to the XG in the Arsenal Lons game. They had two chances and they finished them brilliantly. Tomiyasu's corner kick chance could find the corner instead of finding the keeper. Trissard could find a, a bobble that goes over the keeper's leg instead of being blocked by it. Nelson at the end doesn't have to be cleared off the line. Kai Havertz volley finds the keeper's arm. It literally finds it. The keeper's arm is just out in, in nowhere. I don't even think it's the right technical way of keeping. I think, I think his arms should be by his side. They're out, right? And, and he gets lucky. Um, but it, setting that aside, like, you know, sometimes football's weird like that. They won the duels. We made a mistake. They finished beautifully. And by the same token, like this game could have finished any other number of ways based on the chances we created. So one of the things that I think can happen sometimes is, Outcome-based analysis can lead you to get a little too worried. I still think we need to create more, and I think facing deeper blocks is a problem we've, we need to learn to solve better than we have. But this game wasn't a, a catastrophe. Um, do you have any sort of final thoughts just on maybe lessons learned or or takeaways from watching this team sort of try to, try to find ways through? Because I, I think the thing that for me feels like it's the hurdle we need to, it, stupid mistakes have to go out of our game, but everybody knows that, that you don't need analysis to say stop making mistakes. How we break down these deep blocks, I think is going to become the story of whether we can get to where we want. Cause we're still very, very, very good, but we, we, we are facing a new challenge that I don't feel like we've figured out the solution to yet. You know, I think we're trying to figure it out. I think, Tim made a point there about what we did at Everton. What we did at Everton is exactly what we tried to do in this game, which was score the first goal and then control the game. And sometimes to control the game, you have to go backwards. And we've got our new outfield player in goal, so he went backwards. He went backwards for me far too much. And I've said this a little while now. Again, it's stylistic. I have to accept, you know, I want control. I know I wanted to stop the, these big stretched out games where we, we, we were getting stretched out by teams and losing running races. And we fixed that problem now by controlling the football. Mm -hmm. By going backwards on occasions, Saka in the, in, the, in the first minute against Fulham, going backwards has caused a few errors. Going backwards to Georgina, going backwards to Raya, you're moving the emphasis of your attack backwards and then I need to you know if you ask me honestly I'm someone who wants to play forward a little bit more 
But you need to have the players to do that, to run through and to slice through and to run off the ball, etc. And we're missing a couple of punchy players in our team at the moment. So we're controlling these games. I, I, I like this. I like the City suffocate you control. But if you step on the ball, it doesn't look like control, does it? It looks like you've done... Why do you go back there for? Do you see what I mean? When you had the ball under complete control. And so we keep stepping on the ball. You know, we're doing this to... It feels a bit self-inflicted. So I have to get used to this changing style. This is a season thing. This is about us pacing ourselves, about controlling ourselves for the whole season, for a 55-game season, not 35-game season, if, if you know what I mean. This is this is adult football we have to play now. And some of it won't be as exciting as and bombastic as we used to see in the, in the first 14 games of last season. So yeah, it's a challenge for us. I would generally like to see us move the emphasis a little bit more forward, be a bit more aggressive on occasions for a little bit longer. I like to see us be a bit more aggressive in the first phase, a bit more centrality, so we can get our ball to our wide people higher. So they're they're on the they're on the gallop, they're moving in higher, not receiving it standing still and having to pass inside like Vieira did for most of this game. You know, so I think it's it's a challenge for us, but it's something I'm trying to get used to that we're changing how we play to try to manage these games economically, but we have to take out the mistakes. If you're going to play risk-free, risk-averse football, that right word, then you need to make sure that your technique stands up to that. Or you might as well have taken the risk and make the other team defend on a much more momentum and a stamina basis rather than keeping the ball in non-threatening areas. You know, and um, me and Tim were talking this morning offline about I don't want to turn to like academy football. We're playing around nice passing patterns, but we're not hurting anybody. They're getting a rest. They're getting organised. And then when we try to go and turn up the dial, we we're not always there. It's a balancing act, and it is very outcome-based. And your points around the missed chances is the key of this game. They will put a completely different complexion on this game if we put those chances away. We're not far away. Sometimes in football, you just lose, and you have to accept it. Yeah, and I, I do think it is interesting to compare against teams that have not bunkered. I mean... Bournemouth, we know Iriola likes to press. He tried a bit. He got killed. PSV had a go at us. And that looked sprightly and neat, except they got killed. I think Tottenham were very lucky not to get killed with some of the chances that we created taking the ball off them. Um, and, you know, admittedly, I think we faded a bit, but, you know, that that game should have been out of reach for them and it's only an error that saved them. So I, I do think these teams that, don't bunker are going to present us with the kind of room we want. And ultimately I, you, I think you have to have a runner. I think you have to have someone who can run in behind. And I, and I do think if, if I would have asked Mikel to try anything different on the wing, I think when we don't have Martinelli, I, I think, you know, or Trissard, like I think whatever you think of Nelson, he's got a burst. He can get in behind. He can keep a fullback honest. I think, I think we could use a little of that that direct running, but we'll, you know, we'll see how that evolves. Look, we've got an interesting selection debate to have over this city game. And I want to talk about how important the city game is. Cause I'm going to say something. No one's going to like, I think it's the whole season. I'll explain what I mean in a minute, but you know, you know me, I like to just keep it low key, not, not go overboard. All I'm saying is I think the entire season depends on the 90 minutes on Sunday. That's it. Nothing big, nothing hysterical, just that every single thing we hope and dream for in the world comes down to the 90 minutes on Sunday. Okay? Nice and calming. So to, to, give, to give you that in your mind, that's what's coming up after I tell you about the 432 different brands 
that uh, Blue Wire has asked me to tell you about. So the first one I'm going to tell you about is a new one, if you didn't hear about it on Monday, and that is HelloFresh. HelloFresh, what do they do? They get you farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Right? And by the way, it is America's number one meal kit. So this is this is a company that a lot of people are trusting. Look, it's this simple. And I know this. I have two kids. We, we try to make dinner at home every night. It is hard. You wind up doing the DoorDash thing or you wind up you know, just picking up pre-made food at the grocery store or you wind up feeding yourselves and your family stuff that you shouldn't because it's hard to find time to go grocery shopping, do meal planning, figure out what you're going to make. You know, whether that's with with kids or not with kids, just, you know, even as a single person, like you want to eat healthy, you want to eat fresh. HelloFresh is a way you can do that. You don't have to worry about the shopping. You don't have to worry about the meal planning. All you have to do is follow a couple quick steps to have a, a fresh meal with in-season ingredients. So you can taste the fresh uh, freshness of fall, for example, in every bite of HelloFresh chef-created recipes. Okay. There's over 40 recipes to choose from every week, so there's always something delicious to discover. It, I, I think it's going to make a big difference in, in how you eat um, and how you enjoy eating a diverse assortment of meals that you can cook. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50ArsenalVision. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50ArsenalVision. And use the code 50ArsenalVision. Should be easy to remember because it gets you 50% off plus free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50ArsenalVision and use code 50ArsenalVision for 50% off plus free shipping. Okay? Go for it. Do that one. You're going to like it. Here's another one. You're going to like Manscaped. You know about Manscaped? What are they saying? They're calling it Balloween. That's their that's their cute, funny thing, Balloween. But but we're not here to talk about Balloween. We're here to talk about Faceoween. Because, and I thought this was long overdue, I wanted great face trimming products from Manscaped, and now they have them. They have the Handyman and the Beard Hedger. The Handyman is an on-the-go, compact, waterproof, long battery life shaver. Okay? When I'm traveling... I like to bring a shaver. First of all, um, I have issues with nicking my neck. Necks are hard to shave. The shaver does a really nice job of that. Um, I like having the shaver. It's waterproof. You can get in the shower. You can hop in with it. You can shave your face. Great to have the handyman. The Beard Hedger does 20 different beard lengths, 20 hair cutting lengths with one guard, so there's no more draw drawers full of extra add-ons, which I hate. The Beard Hedger is uh, also travel-sized. That's the thing I like. You know, I don't want these giant tools that I can only use at home. If I'm on the go, I want to bring them with me. It has a long-lasting battery, universal charger, and a strong motor. Um, you could do your eyebrows. You can do your, your sideburns. You can do your beard, of course. So great tools to go with the tools you already know from Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping with at Manscaped.com. Use code ArsenalVision. It's 20% off free shipping. Manscaped.com. Use code ArsenalVision for look as sweet as candy. Get yourself the handy man from Manscaped. We got more. Of course we have more. One of the ones we have is Nord. Um, okay, NordVPN is, is one that's really easy for me because I use it constantly. I've been using it before I ever knew about them on the podcast. They are my VPN of choice. If you want to browse in other regions, you need a VPN. They make it easy. There's an app. You click on it. You tell it what region you want to browse. And you want to watch Match of the Day because Arsenal won and United have lost again and Spurs have lost again and Chelsea have lost again. You got to watch Match of the Day. How do you do it? Use a VPN. Boom, you're over there. You can watch it. Great. When you're traveling away from your home region and you want to browse back in your home region, you need it. Because, for example, when I'm over in England, but I want to watch some football matches that aren't televised because for some reason 3 p.m. is like it's dangerous to put football on at 3 p.m. God forbid you do that. So I can VPN back to the U.S. and watch all the games. They also have threat protection, so they'll keep your computer safe. Uh, they will defeat malware even before 
It's uh, on your computer, even if you downloaded an infected file. Let me tell you what you need to know. There's literally no risk. You get a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can give it a try if you like it. Great. If you don't like it, they'll issue you a refund. You pretend the entire situation never happened. That's nordvpn.com slash, the suspense is killing me, Arsenal Vision. nordvpn.com slash Arsenal Vision. 30-day money-back guarantee and a huge discount on your subscription. NordVPN.com slash ArsenalVision. And last, but certainly not least, although you're probably thankful that we have reached this portion, is indeed, as you know, building a team is about finding the right talent. We have found all the right talent, which is why we are by far the greatest team in all the world. But if you want your business to be the greatest team in all the world, then you need to use Indeed, the hiring platform you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place instead of scouring. Why? 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 Why have 32? Oh, I haven't checked the 28th hiring site I'm using. That's silly. Why would you do that? Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that help you do it all. They streamline the hiring process. They have Instant Match. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. And I think this is important. Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Delivering four times more hires than all the job sites combined according to Talent Nest 2019. Indeed is an unbelievable hiring platform powerful. Start now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer. Good for a limited time. Claim your $75 job credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions do apply. You need to hire. You need to do. Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Not it. Clive. Uh, Tim. Yes. Interesting choices to be made on Sunday. It is a big game. I'll explain why I said all the uh, outrageous incendiary stuff I said before the 17-minute ad break uh, in a moment. But the lineup is going to be the big talking point. So let's start with that. There's a growing groundswell of belief that we should go with Party and Rice in this game. I saw a lineup I quite liked. It had Sack off the right, Trissard on the left, Kai Havertz, uh, pardon me, Sack off the right, Jesus off the left, Kai Havertz through the middle with Party, Rice, and Odegaard. And that Rice playing more of the eight. Kill him with some size and some power. Havertz had his best game, I think you could argue, for Arsenal, at center forward in the Community Shield against this very Manchester City team. And as everybody knows, the, the Community Shield is a very, very serious and important game that really, really matters because we won it. So let's start with that, the Party-Rice thing. Party has not played at all. And we know sometimes when he comes back from injury, sort of like Aaron Ramsey, you don't necessarily see peak Thomas Party. How are you thinking about fitting these pieces together? Because we're, we're this far into the season, we still don't totally know our best lineup, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, I think that one of the thing, one of the uh, mistakes we have to learn from from the Lance game is thinking about who can finish the game as well as who can start it. So when it comes to mm. Partey, I want him to have some part in this game, but I think the manager needs to think very carefully about whether that's the first sixty minutes or the last thirty. I'd love to have seen him come on against Lons. I think I think his passing would have just taken out some of that horseshoe stuff. Um, you know, those, those kind of disguised passes through the lines and particularly when we took Zinchenko off, 
you know, we, we completely lost that kind of dagger passing. We just didn't have it. That's just not who Tomiyasu is or what he does. Um, I'm not sure it's what anyone does, really, other than Zinchenko, who's an absolute specialist at, at, at that position. So, you know, maybe Partey's a great sub to bring on in this game, and I mean it as an attacking sub as well, who doesn't really upset the balance of your team. Like, if he's not fit enough, like, maybe you look at it and say, do you know what, we'll put Rice in the six at first, but then as the game moves on, we'll bring Partey on, and that's not, that's not your usual kind of um, bringing in a number six like defensive change because we don't really look at Partey as a defender, do we? Like he defends space pretty well. Like he, you know, he he's got that kind of um, that real kind of lope on him when he runs. Um, but really, we're talking about his passing through the line. So what I don't want is I don't want to start Thomas Partey and have to bring him off. I'm, you know, sometimes you can't avoid it. I'm not saying every time it's happened, it's been the manager's fault, but there's too many big games at the moment where we're getting disrupted because guys are coming off injured and we've got to try and avoid that if we can. So maybe Partey is a player you play more towards the end of the game. And I think regardless of the game state, that can be a good change that you can make. So I, I, I wouldn't be massively surprised to see Havertz up front and Jesus um, wide, not least because Arteta doesn't seem to trust our other wide options that much. Again, we don't know whether Trossard can quite do 90 minutes. He certainly couldn't on Tuesday night. Can he back the games up? Is he in the position to do that? Like this muscle problem for for him seems to have been on and off. It seems to be something that he goes down for two games with, comes up, and then three games later he's down for another two games. Like I, I don't know what what his kind of condition is. So really, I, I want us to think clearly, not just about the starting lineup, but the substitutions we're going to make. Because against a team like City, all five of them are going to be very, very important. And I don't want it to be if we can avoid it as far as we can because someone limps off on 25 minutes and we've got to completely change what we're doing again. That that I don't want. So, you know, I don't know what condition Partey's in. I, I kind of doubt he can play 90 minutes. If he can play 60, great, let's have him for 60. If he can play 30, let's devise a game plan that gets him in for the last 30 or 25 minutes. Your thoughts, Clive? Uh, they won't have Rodri. They won't have Kevin De Bruyne. They're still obviously very strong. I assume they'll play Kovacic. He was wrapped in cotton wool in midweek. Not that that's a thing that you can do in the Champions League. Uh, he says angrily, uh, resentfully. Your, your thoughts on <clears throat> how we should how we should set up for this game? Yeah, I don't think Kovacic was wrapped up. I think he, he played deep six against um, Wolves and got run all over the place. And um, so I think he was dropped. <laughs> That's right? encouraging. So, uh, so um, how they're going to fix that? I and mean, Calvin Phillips can't get near it, even though Rodri's not around. I mean, that's it's going to be so interesting what they're doing. So maybe they can play Declan Rice. Didn't they sign him this summer? Oh no, that's right, we did because he chose us over yeah, them. Sorry. Yeah. Well, let's thank God that he did. Otherwise, we might have, we might as well go and watch another sport, right? So, um, <laughs> so I think um, the way I would do it is game for your lifetime, right? This is a game for your life. When you're playing, when you're playing against City for a game of your life, for me, you have got to have party and rice in the middle of the pitch, right? And so again, to Tim's point, we don't know how fit party is, but I would always start him to see how fit he is because you can take him off rather than bring him on and then he drop when you're expecting a lift from somebody coming on. So you start and see what he's got because then you can adjust. And fortunately, we have got players that we can adjust to. 
to help bolster the midfield. And so I think also, again, we don't know where Saka is. So Saka doesn't play. Jesus is the player that should play on that side of the pitch because we play to that right-hand side and we almost use that right-hand-sided player as a, a post-up player that posts up, then turns and rolls away. And that mirrors... Jesus is the closest mirror to Saka because then he can post up, do combination with Odegaard, and that looks quite similar to what we normally do. right? So so you can create that pod by putting Jesus in there. If you're going to go centre-forward, and given the fact we have no sprint on the left-hand side, what sort of centre-forward do you need? For me, you need to bring the other players into the into the group. And so for me, you need a facilitating centre-forward. And the best facilitating centre-forward we have, apart from Jesus, if Jesus got to play wide, is Havertz for me. You play Havertz as centre-forward and you facilitate around him and you use him as part of your game plan as a central point that you can play off of. And that means you're going to get combinations because we haven't got the speed to run through. But we need to get the first dual combination to bring the other four into play and then we can go from there. I think Rice being in that sort of the left position, he can be, he can be an attacking, penetrative threat. I think he'll do it. I think he'll enjoy it. You know, and obviously he trusts party behind. And when party does run out of steam, because he will, he didn't pay for six weeks or so, then you can move Rice back in and decide what you do, whether you bring other players into into the left eight position, bring Jorginho in, whatever you want to do, it doesn't really matter. But you end with a level of stability. You know, so that's what I would do. I'd bring Ben White back in. I'd do Zinchenko, Tomiyasu things, Zinchenko for 70, Tomiyasu for the last 20. That's what I would do for, for this game. And um, if Butts are maybe there, if we're not sure where people's health is, I do trust our slightly inside off the left-hand side and and go from there. But I do think the fact you need to be able to create offensive threat. We lack offensive yeah. threat by speed. So we've got to do it by combinations. You know, So the first duels are really important. So if City do come get us, which I'm not sure they're going to with our goalkeeper, then we can clip it to Havertz. If we have to play and do the left left centre back thing with the goalkeeper, we can do it. We can play through. We've got a bit more confidence and security. The one thing we miss when Thomas Party doesn't play, and Zinchenko, who is now the new Thomas Party for me, he's the only player that commits people. So he commits people by his dribbling before he passes. Everyone else just passes. Right? Odegaard obviously does his trick before he passes. But that commitment to draw people to you to create space for the next pass is what we're missing. We're being quite conservative. So it's not just pass, it's commitment before the pass. So what you then do, you create an, um, an imbalance. So someone has to move to try to get you once you've beaten your man. Someone's got to move. As soon as he moves, I mean, someone else is free. And you create an imbalance and you create a reaction from the opposition. We're not creating enough reactions in the opposition because we're too conservative with our passing movements. In balance, get people off balance. You can beat them, and it's like a domino effect all the way down. We're not doing enough of that at the moment because we haven't got enough committers. We're just very vanilla in what we're doing, and that's where our creativity issues are, are happening, as long as low as personnel and cohesion and partnerships issues. I <clears throat> yeah, worry about vulnerability down our left hand side as well. I mean, I don't, I don't think Zinchenko is a liability per se, but I think we defend our left hand side as a group, as a collective. And in the past, think about what our left-hand side was most of last season. It was Zinchenko, Shaka, Martinelli. 
Shaq is really a central mid that was playing as a left eight, right? And he knows how to drop into that left back spot. He's played left back for us. He dropped back in there when Zinchenko vacated, gave us some balance. Martinelli, what does he do? He just runs around like a terrier all game long. You are not going to go expose the left-hand side on Martinelli's watch. He's going to chase back. Now, you've got Zinchenko, Kai, and let's say Trissard. And I like Trissard, but I don't think Trissard is as rapid or as dogged in his defensive recoveries. Havertz certainly is not going to be as aware defensively as a Shaka, certainly dropping into the left-back spot. And so you're going to see Zinchenko more on an island. And I I do wonder, Tim, if that's if that's a side of the pitch that gets shored up, at, you know, as Clive's talking about, by starting with Party and Rice. I know I know you talk about, you know, who can finish a game and, and not playing guys that aren't fit, but mm-hmm. the one thing you do by swapping Rice in and Havertz out, if you want to go that way... Is I you know Rice has shown it's his it's his defensive recoveries it's the way he travels in defensive transitions that makes a big difference. Um, I think we're going to have to be aware of that that left hand side defensively because of those issues that I raised. So, is that a reason to potentially do it so that we don't find ourselves with Zinchenko covering back one v one in sprints against Foden or Julian Alvarez or whoever it is because that that's you know you're not going to survive that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I, I wouldn't discount starting Jorginho either. I, I think he's a very underrated player, actually, um, by, our, by our supporters in general. Like, I wouldn't panic at all if he was on the team sheet. But mm. yeah, I, I I think for me, I, I think those, those points are well made about protection on that side. I also just think that Trossard and Havertz, I, I just haven't seen it yet. You know, I just haven't seen those two players mix. I feel like almost they're a bit similar. And I feel like when I look at those kind of combinations on the left, I think Havertz is much better when there's like a proper, I say when there's a proper runner, to be fair, he hasn't really done it with Martinelli either. But one of the the avenues that Arsenal really try to find is that kind of left channel. They really try and get players into the, into the byline there. And I, I just... I haven't really seen that mix between Havertz and, and Trossard. And they have played. We finished games with Havertz up front and Trossard on the left. And it just looks a little bit like they both don't quite know where to be. I kind of feel like Havertz needs real movers off him. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, it's almost like a foosball table when Trossard and Havertz are kind of alongside each other. Maybe that will sort itself out. I don't know. Um, but I, I I guess I'd have a little bit of concern about that, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't complain at all if it was uh, if it was Rice in that kind of left eight or having that double pivot. Like, let's not do what we did last time in this game and lose it in the first half an hour. Uh, I mean, well, the last time we played City, not the Charity Shield, at the end of last season, we we lost every <laughs> period of that game. There wasn't there wasn't a ten minutes we had in it, but let's not go in 2-0 down. Let's not have them score on their first attack and you just sit there and go, well, this game's over already. Like, Let's not give them that hope. So I am definitely behind the idea of having a double pivot um, in, in whatever form that looks like. I, I do like, yeah, having Havertz up front in isolation, I'm kind of fine with that, but I, I do worry slightly about that mix of Havertz and, and Trossard. And, and look, maybe Trossard ends up on the right because Saka can't play and then you have Nelson on the left. I, I don't really know. Like, 
I guess also one of the ways that City have been able to cut our legs off is if there is one right back who can live with Martinelli and what he provides, it's Kyle Walker. And actually, I'm not sure that Kyle Walker's qualities against Trossard, for example, are quite the same. Like, I think Kyle Walker might be like the only right back who I, who I kind of think has Martinelli's number a little bit. So if we don't have Martinelli, which we almost certainly won't, then, you know, maybe having a little bit more guile, a little bit more combination, as, as Clive says. Like, I guess I don't really know because we haven't seen it yet. We've seen so many different combinations up front and we're probably going to have to go with another one um, on Sunday, which on one hand that can make us unpredictable. And we have had an extra day over City and we've got to use that extra day, not just for recovery, but we're probably going to have to do something a bit different. And... We've tried different things against City before, but um, I'm guessing we're not going to feel Willian at false nine um, this time around. So we have got better options, but really I can't sit here and tell you this is my preferred option because I've seen it. My preferred option is Saka, Martinelli and Jesus, and it's not happening. I haven't seen anything else yet that makes me go, yep, I'll have that instead. So you know, maybe it's a Smith Rowe game in left eight. I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe hmm. he has something that he can add in the last twenty minutes if we take a party or a Jorginho off. Like, there's so many different things we can do, but I, ha- I can't confidently point to any of them because I can't tell you I've seen them work before. It's it's that, you know, it's like that old kicker guard saying about life having to be lived forwards but only being understood backwards. That's yep. kind of how I feel. I don't have a strong just opinion. Just going to say that. <laughs> other than, other than, I kind of want that double pivot. And if it means Jorginho and Rice or Partey and Rice, I'm I'm kind of relaxed about that. But I I think that's what I want on Sunday. And the rest of it, put something together on the training ground, lads, because I haven't I haven't seen anything else yet that makes me feel good or confident yeah Clive it's since 2015 that we last beat Manchester City in the league I think where Manchester City kill have killed us is when they take a lead um I just think I've seen us chase games against City or not know how to approach games once we fall behind and it's it's been devastating how quickly and easily they can rip you apart if you give them some room is this and I know this is not how we play is this a game where the first step is to not lose it for an hour. And I know that's not really how we play. We play our football. We press. We push up. We control territory. But you know, whether they pick Doku or whether they pick Foden or you know, certainly with Erling Holland, their running power and their, their quality. I mean, Alvarez can kill you from outside of the box when you did nothing wrong. That's such as the way he strikes the ball. Erling Holland can get a leg to something he's second favorite to get to and put it in the corner. They don't have to be great to beat you because of the talent they have up front. Should our first goal in this game, even though it's not our identity right now, be to not lose it, to be compact, to be a bit safe, um, and see if we can be in a position to win it late? Do you remember the Charity Shield game? I'm not sure if you remember it, but it was a game, it was probably the most exciting game for me. All, all the way back in August? Who can think yeah. back that far? Well, because I, because, I, because I was there, I, had a really, I was very excited about that game. Because it was one of the first times I'd seen us compete with City all over the pitch. You know, everywhere we went, we could we could duel with them, and I, I I just felt so good seeing the levels close up. And so I think my takeaway from that was, and I actually said to you earlier, if there's European Cup final tomorrow, I want this side to play. 
We had Timber playing, very dual-centric. We had Havo as a centre-forward. He was very pressy in those days. And we had our two speeds on the outside, you know, and we had our rice and part in the middle, and we looked really, really physically good. Really good. And that was the best I've seen against them. So in my mind, I want to replicate that as much as possible, you know, with the with the home ground impact on top of that as well. And so for me, whether you remember last year I was screaming double pivot before you went to the Etihad. It's not I want to sit and bunker. I just think you need to look after your middle, mate. You have to look after it. You can't let a free entry pass into the monster. You've got to look after your middle. Make sure you control the game there. But once you win it, have the ability to keep it and then send them backwards. And that's what Wolves did really well. When they won it, they broken them really well, got their three passes in, used their speed and caused them problems. So we have to have the ability not just to win it, but to keep it. And that's why I want us to have a bit more security in the middle. Don't empty it out. If you lose it, you're done on the counter press, right? So, so yeah, I, my view, you know, similar to what you're all thinking, I don't know what Tim alluded to and what you're thinking, Elliot, you've got to stay in these games as long as possible. But no matter how well we played in Charity Shield, we still were one behind. Do you know what I mean? You've got to stay in these games. You've got to make it a contest. For too long when we play this team, it's a 25-minute game and it's over. You know, and um, we can't let that happen. Let's stay in the game. Let them think about the result. If we get a draw, that'd be brilliant. Considering where we are health-wise, it'd be absolutely brilliant. Why they got this game when both teams are on the way back from the away Champions League game, I think it's bad scheduling. It should be different, but I can't change that now. But we have got a slight advantage there. So let's see what team we roll out, but make sure we're in it after 30, after 45, and keep making sure that we're in it. if we score first, we control it, we control the story, then our bench decisions become easier for us. You know, so that's, that's my view. Yeah. You, you can't beat Manchester City in terms of the firepower you can put out versus the firepower they can put out. And I think sometimes in football, you have to hold your hands up if brilliance beats you. But I think what you should try to do is win the game in places where it can be won. I think we can win the midfield battle in this game. And I, I would be inclined to try to do that. Um, and I think this is not a game for Kai Havertz at left. If you want to play him at center forward, as I said, I don't think you can. I, I do not think we can afford to have Kai Havertz start at left eight. Not because I don't like Kai Havertz. I don't think you can have an 18-touch, 16-pass player in this game in that part of the pitch. I think we need to control the midfield, and I think we can. So I think we're going to have to do something a little bit different there. Um, I, You know, I think Jesus center forward is our best player in that position. If we want to play Havertz up front there and try to win first balls and let Jesus and Saka attack off the edges. I mean, Walker's excellent. You know, the interesting thing, Martinelli had him on toast a bit in the charity shield. We had some joy against him from that position. Um, and Jesus was effective coming off the left against Bournemouth. So, you know, it, it's an option. But... I think you have to try to win the midfield, and and that's really my would be my priority in how I, how we pick the team. I think should be Odegaard, Rice, and Party. I think it should be. I, I realize it's a risk with Party. I think the physical quality, the technical quality. Look, I think the best we played Manchester City in the league at any point since 2015 was the the New Year's game at the Emirates, where Shaka got unlucky with the penalty late, and they took that game from us. Then they sent off Gabriel. Thomas Party was the best player on the pitch that day. They couldn't get near him. And I think 
we didn't even we didn't have a rice next to him too who could recover into the space he vacates and and track back i think i think you you have to give that a try in my view um obviously whatever Mikel decides to do will be the smarter thing but that would be my my instinct and i realize it is a risk because again just to emphasize i don't think thomas party has always looked good coming back from absences when has thomas party looked worse for arsenal right after international breaks clive you reference it a lot comes back from international breaks he's not the same player so mm. can we integrate him and get the Thomas party that, that that he can be at his top of his game? That's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, Tim, I think where we need to wrap this up, though, is just with the significance of the game. So I said some incendiary um, shit before, before the 18-minute ad break saying that this is our entire season. I was half kidding, obviously, but only half kidding. Tim, we said this. Th- I, I just can't be any clearer than this. If you want to be champions, and I think we are good enough, I think we are built to be champions. Do we need to get some players fit? Yes. Do we need to click a bit more? Yes. But that should be our aspiration, and that is something we can do. And I I know everyone's down about the Lons game. Can I point something out? We go above City if we win. We go above City in the league if we win. We're right where we want to be. But you cannot drop six points to City and be champions. I do not believe you can do that. You cannot be six points plus inevitable goal difference because City are going to top the goal difference this league, period, every season. They're going to do it. So you're, if you lose to City twice, you got to find seven points in the league that you can catch up to them. And we saw last season, it cannot be done. If we beat City twice last season, we would have been champions. We lost to City twice and we weren't. So I don't think you can lose the home match to City and really believe you're going to get there. That's just my opinion. Am I overstating this, Tim? I know people don't like in in October to think the league can go or or not go. Like, and I it doesn't. Of course, it doesn't. City could go on a five game losing streak tomorrow. Who, who the hell knows? But I really believe that you got to take you got to take three points off City at least once to be able to be champions. And doing it at home seems like the best option. Am I am I overstating? No, because we we all know, don't we, that even regardless of the head-to-head, well, j- just mathematically, psychologically, the head-to-heads, like they mean so much. I think because of our recent history as well, there is a psychological barrier to clear. And this is, you know, this is what I call a real economies of scale game. Like if you win it, uh, just imagine the feeling will go into the international break with and those players will go in with and they'll feel like, okay, we can beat this team. We can beat this team. We can do this. And look, none of us want to think about it at the moment. If it goes the other way, it's going to be the complete opposite. It's going to be, we can't beat this team. We couldn't beat them at home. We've only got them away now. That's going to be even harder. And like you say, like sit at, look at how upset we all were at drawing with Fulham and Spurs because we know when you're competing with someone like City, you just there aren't a lot of points that you can drop in a season. And so, you know, even if, even if it's a draw, I kind of think that's fine. Um, you know, I, I do feel like, look, if we lose this, I know my head will go to a, okay, I'm not really thinking about the title race. Maybe like I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but, you know, I'll kind of stop thinking about it until it's actually happening. You know, we're too early in the season at the moment, so it's definitely happening. If we lose this game, then probably psychologically I go to a space of let's be secure in the top four and, you know, let's just see what happens. But 
if we win this game, my headspace is going to be it's on like Donkey Kong, you know, and that that's that's exactly where it is. It's on that knife edge, whether we like it or not. I wouldn't be dis- particularly if we're without Saka. If we're without Saka, I'll take a draw right now. I think it is really important for the belief of this team and mathematically to not lose this game. I think it's too early to say it's absolutely must win, but it is a must not lose. It's definitely a must not lose, both math- mathematically and psychologically, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, in the city that Liverpool fell one point short, right? The 93 to 92 point season, I want to say. They drew City twice, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Uh, you know, they they just, they put so much pressure on you. Now, the interesting thing is in the City, in, in the 2019-2020 season, where Liverpool sort of ran away with the title, that was a, that was a project restart season, right? Um, I believe... They beat City at home kind of early in this. Well, you know, um, in, in no, early November, they beat City at home. And they lost the away game 4-0. 4-0. But that was during Project Restart, and the league was already wrapped up by that point. Right? I, I think if you can beat City at home, you have a platform to go on and, and do the things that you want to do. And, and you... You, you always have money in the bank at that point, right? Because then you go to the away game and it, I mean, it may feel like a must win at that point in the season, but it, it, it isn't in that respect. I, Clive, have I, have I overstated this? Have I got this wrong? Look, I, obviously, mathematically speaking, nothing's going to happen in October that decides the league, but knowing what you have to do to get past City if you want to win a title, the point total you probably need and the, the way they're going to play in most games is, is the home game against City sort of a, on the punch list of things you have to do to win a title, right? You'd have some things on that punch list. I feel like beat City in the home game is is on that list, and that's coming up Sunday. It'd be nice, wouldn't it, to win? But I'm with that. We must not lose. That's that's the most important thing. We must yeah. not lose. Yeah. We must we must show them that we are not a one season wonder. We're here for real. So you don't lose that game. You don't go in with that mentality. You just go in the mentality to compete and show your best. I think we have more tactical tools this time to play a different game. When we pressed at the Etihad, we got popped over. and We had Rob Holding trying to compete with their centre forward. Didn't work. You know, running race got got run all over the pitch, and we just kept doing it. We did what Bournemouth did at the weekend. We were that naive on the day, and we didn't adjust. We had players that weren't healthy, weren't fit, and we left them exposed with a game plan. We've already seen this year we can play different ways. So we can do whatever you like, you know? So I'm interested to see not just how we play, but how we adapt. And when we played the home game last year, we had them on toast. We had them. It took Bernardo out of left back. Remember that one, Tim? Took Bernardo out of left back, brought another centre back. They played four centre backs for the rest of the season and won every trophy in the possible history of mankind. Mm -hmm. They found their balance against us in the second half. You know, and created a base for which they could miss chances, score chances. It didn't really matter. They weren't going to concede many goals. And so it, it doesn't take much. You just got to make sure you take your chances. And I don't want to quote Mikel, but I do think when we watched the PSV game, we were really good in both boxes. When you watched the Lons game, we weren't so good in both boxes. We weren't. We really weren't. Our defensive lines were too flat. We had no two lines running backwards. 
And going forwards, we were a bit unfortunate in some of the chances we didn't quite execute. If we can get better where it really counts, I think we can take them. I really do. But we've got to make sure we execute. In the home game, Eddie missed a couple of chances. And we're not, we haven't spoken much about the Haylenders. But I think they'll be our finishers on the day. All three of them. That's what I would do. Make sure they bring our energy towards the end of the game, no matter what the game state is. And then make sure we have better lines of recovery when people do get around our edges for crosses and cutbacks. We were not good in, in long to midweek. So that's that's my view of the game. Can I ask you a quick question, Clive, on Saka? Mm. If the if the goal is first not to lose it, defensive recoveries are so important. We talked already about how not having Martinelli can mean that your left side is exposed, especially if you're playing Zinchenko Kai and, and and like a Trissard on the left. I just don't think you have the defensive recoveries there. If Saka's not really fully fit, no matter how much we want him out there to be a game winner, do you risk maybe not having the intensity of defensive recoveries? And at that point, do you do you think about maybe using a Jesus, for example, off the right with like a Kai or an Enkedia if he wants to? We know he trusts him. And a Trissard so that you you don't run the risk of maybe getting exposed by Saka just lacking the running power to to recover defensively? Do we have to be thinking a little bit about, about not just whether he's fit enough to go out there and try to win us the game with something brilliant, but can he help us not lose the game with his defensive recoveries? Yeah, that, that would be my team, Ellen. My team would be to play Jesus off the right. I'm counting Saka out at this moment in time because mm. I think it would be just wise in my mind. Based on the information that, that we have today, by the time some people listen to this, we may already know that he's already turned up in training and he's all over our all over our phones <laughs> on the inside training video. And then it all changes, right? And so, but I would have JT's on the right because I think what Man City have done, and they've got a player called Doku, who is pretty sharp one-on-ones. Ben White is not so good in outside areas defending once he's stood up. So it's going to be, can we take the pass early, progressive pass early, and take it in transition? And then if Ben White's got Jesus' support to help him on the recovery, I think that would be really smart. On the left-hand side, our left, okay, look, we're not talking rubbish here, but I think we can handle them on that side of the pitch. I think they don't have the same devastation and speed on that side of the pitch. So I do think it's going to be a right-sided Arsenal game, like it always is, but it's both sides, defensively and attackingly. That's where we can really take them, Let's force Doku to defend. Let's take them back. And I think Doku came on midweek with Alvarez and turned the game and got their 3-1 victory. I expect both of them to play. You know, so mm, it'll be an interesting one. So that's how I would that's how I would defend that side. This is why I want a facilitator up front. Because the, the City game has different pressures. When you're under pressure, you want exits. You want exit plans that you know are there. You don't want maybes. You want exits. The only sure plan we have is Jesus. But I would play him slightly off the right and I would play Havertz in the middle. I'm not saying he's a sure thing. People are probably laughing, but trust me, centre forward, he seems to show up. I don't know what it is, right, for us. He seems to show, at least he shows himself as a, as a facilitating set point, a setter. And then we can play off that. So that's how I would do it based on the information that we have today. Yeah, okay. I, I like that. I think we can sort of leave it there, Tim, with with one exception. Um. This season is different from last season. Last season was a fairy tale. This season, there's a bit more expectation. We're doing just fine, but there's a feeling sort of like we aren't, and I can't really put my finger on it, but the support was robust, obviously, at Bournemouth, the away support, just brilliant. This is the home game. 
the Emirates has been able to make a lot of noise and become a fortress a bit last season. We saw that. Do you do you think that there'll be an expectant nervousness that makes that difficult? How do you, I, you know, I hate to do sort of fan analysis, but let's <laughs> do it anyway. How important is it that the Emirates crowd become that that proverbial 12th man and we, you know, we really create an atmosphere to to make this game feel like a cauldron for City? Yeah, fan analysis, as it were. Yeah, for, yeah exactly. I, I don't. I definitely don't doubt that uh, people will turn up and they'll turn up with their voices. And it's a four thirty, so you know, there's uh, there's plenty of time to get some drinks in beforehand. <laughs> and I think that will happen both to amplify the noise and maybe to relieve some nerves um, as well. Um, so definitely, it's, I, I think it's going to be really, really loud. I think everyone recognizes how big this game is. Of course, there'll be nervous energy. There just is. For big games, I remember those games at Highbury with Manchester United, and every time they went into the, and went into your half, you could hear that. Oh no, it's a bit like um, these games are a bit like how you used to feel listening on the radio mm-hmm. <laughs> when you were younger, and you've got that dodgy medium wave reception, and you can just hear the cop or something, and it's like, oh, are they near the goal? And it turns out they got a throw in or something, and Alan Green's just winding you up like that. That's what it's going to be like in real time. Every time they cross the halfway line, that's that's just the way these big atmospheres go. But I've got no doubt that everyone's really going to turn up, and I do think it being you know four thirty on a Sunday, it's not an early kickoff um, this time. And if the team brings the energy, I think the crowd will really back them. I think the crowd will really back them. Anyway, there has been nervous energy around, especially the home games. But I think you've seen as well that there has been a kind of a response and I do think that's calmed down a little bit um you know as as someone who um struggles with anxiety a lot one of the things you say to yourself is like you can't stay well you kind of can but like one of the things I say to myself to climb off the roof is like you don't stay like this forever like eventually at some point you're going to come back down and, and I do feel like that coming back down, that settling into the season has just started to happen. But I'm, I'm expecting a big atmosphere on Sunday, certainly. Yeah, I think the only thing that could short circuit that if it were to happen would be if we made the really stupid early mistake. Like, guys, we can't do what we did against Fulham, right? We You can't play Manchester City down a goal inside the first 90 seconds. So... The, the the home thing is weird. The stupid mistakes to fall behind to gift goals, like whatever that is, that's got to be gone. Because the only thing way I disagree with you, Tim, and not disagree, but think is if Arsenal are down like 1-0 in 90 seconds, then I think the atmosphere could be a bit tricky. Here's another reason why I think this game is such a big opportunity. If we beat City, all of this hand-wringing and hair-pulling and skin-rending of are we good? We're not sure. Are we sure? We're, we'll be sure we're good. Right. If we be, and I think the players will be sure they're good. And I think the fans will be sure we're good. Beating City at home to go top of the league will flatten out whatever these little bumps of insecurity and anxiety have been in the season. And I think set us on a really good course. And then there's two weeks. It always feels like this, right? You get these these big games, these big moments, and then two weeks where they all go off to the international break. So much like the Manchester United game, I do not want to be sitting here spending two weeks talking about. The, the bad stuff. I want to be celebrating the good stuff. And so hopefully that's what they will give us. We will do um, something tomorrow for patrons. I'm not sure what it'll be. And we will have the instant reaction on Sunday. Of course, um, I got a lot of friends somehow who are going to be at this game. And so uh, I hope that they have a great, 
great day there. I think the two friends that I'm speaking to now will both be at this game. I'm certain of it. So I hope that they have a great day out. And wherever you watch the game, I hope it is a great day. It feels like a a moment where we can put a marker down. I think we have a, a point to prove, a big point to prove. And we can prove it. And we are catching City maybe, maybe, maybe at the kind of moment where you could prove it. Still as dangerous as ever, but maybe vulnerable. Let's see. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stominator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. It's these big moments where we can come together. Let's hope we do. We rise to the challenge and prove the point. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. City, no. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.